The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Auto Parts, pick up a bottle of Seafoam Motor Treatment on sale for $7.99. Plus, earn double O rewards points. Help your engine run smoother and last longer with Seafoam Motor Treatment on sale now at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Better parts, better prices every day. Limit supplies. See store for details. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Blog Talk Radio. Hi, I'm Ryan Tannehill, quarterback for the Miami Dolphins, and I represent the Fencider with the PH. Absolutely right, guys. We are back. We are live on the air right now. Fencider podcast is up and going. We're ready to talk all things Miami Dolphins. We're ready to talk training camp, preview the Hall of Fame game coming up. I get, got a chance to sit down with Katie Drummond over at Blogging the Boys, about 20, 25 minutes worth of just talking the game, what's going on with the Cowboys, all that kind of stuff. So we'll have that for you tonight. Uh, right now with me I have Duke. Duke, how are you tonight? Doing all right. Good. Welcome back to the podcast. I know we've been doing Finn Snyder TV, but – we're back up with the podcast now, too. And, uh, of course, running the board, doing all things behind the scenes, we have James. How are you tonight? I'm good. How are you? I am doing well. I'm, I'm excited to have Finsider Podcast back up and running. So if you guys are listening in live right now, make sure you jump on the Finsider, and you can ask us questions there. You can hit us up on Twitter, at the Finsider, and you can always give us a call, 347-326-9461. If you're listening to this on a uh, on-demand download type of thing, we're going to aim at every Wednesday night having the Finsider podcast, and it's going to be this time, 9 p.m. Eastern, every Wednesday. We'll be able to take your phone calls. You can also download us on iTunes, and you can find us on blogtalkradio.com. So there's all kinds of ways to hear us talk dolphins. There's all kinds of ways for you to jump in and get into the conversation And we are really excited to bring this back. It was something that we did last year, and it sort of went away for a while. But it is back up and running now, so we're ready to go. Uh, To get us started, Left Coast Fin Fan, first question up is, is Lance Lewis ever going to get healthy enough to compete for a line position? And if he does, do you think he beats out Jerry? Uh, From what I've read, I think that he's going to end up probably – at least another couple weeks, three weeks maybe, before he's able to go at full strength. And I think that by then they're going to be trying to lock in the offensive line. I think at best he's probably a reserve lineman at this point. You guys, any thoughts on Lewis? I think um, I think John Jerry's out. I'll just put it that way. 
Um, you know, he was kind of like the pet project last year, as we saw on Hard Knocks, where uh, O-line coach Jim Turner said he could he could become a pro bowler if he ever buys into it. But he was doing okay um, this year, and then he got hurt. And the extremity injury, we don't really know, but we know he's going to be out for a while. Um, I, I just don't – I think he – either he goes on IR – and uh, and they give him the full season IR, or they give him that one where he can come back in week eight, or um, it's going to be he gets. I think he could be traded. I've, I've read that. On, I think it's WalterFootball.com mentioned him as a possible trade to say Dallas or a team that has a power run scheme. Um, but I, I don't know that they would outright cut John Jerry. But I just I think he's. I don't think he's going to be. I don't think he's going to be on the team uh, for any in, in some form or fashion. That being said, I think Lance Lewis, therefore, is going to make the team. It's just a matter of whether or not he's going to beat out Josh Samuda at this point for uh, the starting starting spot. And he also can be going up against Richie Incognito, who's been playing some right guard, uh, and, uh, and Samuda and Dallas Thomas have been playing left guard. So right now, Lance Lewis is kind of behind those other guys. Go ahead and bring in the fourth member of our show, Keith. How are you tonight? <clears throat> My Maybe. goal is to be uh, 73% okay. more offensive than I was during the uh, show last week. Oh, good. <laughs> Were you offensive last week? Not really. We, uh, we, no. we, we, we had some fun during the show. Um, Keith, we're talking – West Coast Fin Fan had our first question. And we're talking Lance Lewis. Is he going to be ready? Is he ever going to be able to compete for a starting job? I said I think he's probably at least two to three weeks away from being full strength. And at that point, I think the team's already trying to lock in the line. And I think that what we're probably going to end up seeing is Mike Pouncey's going to stay at center. Martin and Claybo stay at the uh, tackles. You're going to see Samuda take left guard and you're going to see Richie Incognito move to the right. That's my personal thoughts on how they're going to fill out this offensive line in the end. But what are your thoughts on the offensive line and where it stands right now? I think you're pretty close with that projection. I think that uh, of of the guys who who you didn't mention, I, I think that uh, Dallas Thomas is probably lurking. I think that uh, – I mean, the, the thing with Lance Lewis is when he was in Chicago, I mean, he was a nice – uh, additional piece, but he wasn't ever a guy on that line where, I mean, we look at him like Pouncey and we, we really expect him to clean things up on the inside. I mean, Lance Lewis is a, is a good player and whatnot, but, I mean, he's competing against, uh, you know, Samuda has looked really good. So, I mean, a couple of weeks ago, I'd say that, yeah, Lewis is probably a, a good month away, but the way he played in Chicago, I don't see why he can't compete for that right guard job. Now I'm not so sure. So I think that his health will play into it, especially if he's if he isn't ready coming up here, uh, going into the preseason, and with how well Samuda has played. But uh, the guy I'm most intrigued uh, to is Dallas uh, Thomas. So, well, I, and I'll say this in regards to the offensive line, and I don't want to jump the gun here, and we might be going to be talking about this later, but. Uh, he and I have sent some texts over the past couple of days, and, and I'm of the opinion right now that, while I believe um, 
What is Sorry, that? We're, having technical, we're, we're having technical issues right now. I'm working on something, and apparently it keeps trying to automatically play the already recorded portion of the show. So, sorry. Okay. No problem. <laughs> I was going to say the um, I, I believe that, in my opinion, our next our next first round draft pick is going to be a left tackle, and that's not to say that I, I think Jonathan Martin can be okay. But at this point, from all I'm reading, he seems to be possibly the weakest link on the line at this point. So, uh, you know, it all depends. That's, you know, that's one of the main things I'm going to be watching in the Hall of Fame game is just see how he does against against whoever Dallas does at him, whether it's to Mark Square or their backups or whatever. But, um, you know, I'm, I'm less worried about the, the right guard spot and all the other guard positions as I am the left tackle spot. And I said on Insider TV last last episode that I do believe that um, I do believe he'll be he'll be an okay left tackle. I don't think he's just going to be you know complete. I don't think he's going to be Colombo 2.0 on the left side. However, uh, I think that's going to be a major area of uh, need to upgrade next year. Well, two things on that. Uh, it, first, it, it's funny how our our concern regarding left tackle has uh, kind of led us away from. Uh, the fact that really over the last few years, our right side of the line has not been very good. And it's funny how quickly, how quickly our, our thinking has changed, you know, now that we're, we're getting these guys, I mean, whether it's, you know, a Lance Lewis or a Samuda or, or whomever at that guard position. And, I mean, you feel good about Clavo. I mean, not a long-term guy. We've talked about that before. But, I mean, Clavo's a guy where you look over there and you know he's going to get it done. So it's kind of funny how, our, the right side of our line, we've gone from guys like Mark Colombo and thinking like, hey, is John Jerry going to be healthy this year? To, or, you know, is he going to be under 400 pounds to uh, to what we have going on? And then the second thing is with Jonathan Martin, uh, a lot of the scouting that went on through 2011 and 2012 uh, suggested that Martin had the ability to be uh, a good player, a feeling of a guy you would say is a, a pretty good player, not not a Pro Bowl talent, not any guy who's going to go in there and lock horns with guys like Jared Allen, DeMarcus Ware, uh, Jason Pierre-Paul, you name it. I mean, the, the best pass rushers in the league and a guy that you didn't have to worry about. I remember reading one scouting report prior to the 2012 draft. Now, there's always just one guy. But one scout said that he was hoping that uh, one of his – his team's division rivals drafted Jonathan Martin because he'd love to go at that guy twice a year, which is not really a ringing endorsement if you're Jonathan Martin. But it, it's something where I, I'm not panicking with him. I think that uh, I mean it's pretty much playing out the way we thought it would. I mean, like he's got he's got some really good abilities. He's a smart guy. He's got he's got pretty good feet. He doesn't have uh, I wouldn't say he has ideal foot speed for the position, but I think he has good footwork right now. Uh, but we're, it's really going to come down to whether he can hold up on the lower base. Because if he can't anchor against some of those power moves that he's going to see this year, and other guys know it, it's going to be a it's going to be a rough rough entry for him. So that's something to keep in mind. But like Duke said, regardless of what happens, uh, this uh, I think this upcoming draft in 2014 has better left tackle talent as a whole than uh, 2013 did. So I mean, worst case scenario, we just go get one. I mean, but right now we can play it out, see how it works, see how Martin looks. If we have to make adjustments, so be it. But I'm certainly not panicking. Yeah, and, it, um, and, and the on that, on that, 
And it's the question, the next question that's in the live thread, too, from Bleminisher. I have no idea. Blemenheiser? Something like that. Um, when do we start to panic? Because it's really funny looking at Twitter right now. The panic is setting in. And Fireland uh, hashtags are starting to pop up again already because people are watching Cameron Wake, Dion Jordan, and Olivier Vernon get past our get past Jonathan Martin, get past Tyson Clavo, get these things. And part of that is also the fact that we do have one of potentially the top offensive lines in uh the league this year. Or uh, defensive line, sorry. We have one of the top defensive lines in the league this year. So at what point do we go, Oh dear God, this isn't gonna work. Ryan Tannehill's going to die and uh, and how long do we give it before we reach that point? Well, certainly not right now. I mean, it's something where if if Deion Jordan and Cameron Wake and Olivia Vernon weren't getting past those guys, you'd see Fireland talking about how Deion Jordan was a wasted pick and how our pass rushers suck. I mean, it's it's funny how that works. I mean, that's what you'd see out there right now. But, I mean, in, in training camp, to be quite honest with you, w- with the way this defense, I'm not surprised that our tackles are, are struggling with our, our defensive line right now. There's a lot of rumors, a lot of talk, a lot of stuff going out there right now suggesting that the Dolphins might have uh, the most uh, really explosive defensive line when you, you really get said and done with now that Deion Jordan's in there. A lot of people think, and Darlington was talking about it, that this defensive line is really something to be reckoned with now. So, uh, it certainly doesn't worry me now. Uh, if if we go in the, to the season the first month and it's a Jake Cutler type situation where it's like, hey, is anyone going to protect that guy's backside? You know, did did they even look over at the left side of the line there? Then, yeah, maybe you can uh, start to worry. But I, I have a hard time thinking that uh, an offensive line uh, guru, I love how we use the term guru too, but a guy like Joe Philbin, I have a hard time <laughs> thinking that he's going to go through this the early part of the season, and if if adjustments need to be made, he's going to sit there and just let his quarterback get killed. That doesn't strike me as a filled-in move. Right. So, uh, I, don't think, I don't know if you need to panic. Yeah, and one of the, um, you know, and also I think we also need to remember, you know, a lot of scattering reports about Dallas Thomas coming out with it. He's a better fit as a guard and so on and so forth. But he did well at left tackle when he was at Tennessee. I believe um, one thing I read is he went up against who was Clowney and one other pass rush from the SEC and held them to two pressures combined. Um, you, know, you know, so that's pretty good. Um, I, I think it's just because Antonio Richardson was a little better that they moved him inside the guard. And, you know, that kind of stuff happened in college, so uh, that's not a big deal. And and like you were saying, I think it's, now it's not the time to necessarily be worried about that um, because – it's like our, our biggest fan, Omar Kelly, said in one of his articles is that, um, you know, if it's all it's all fun to, to be – it's all good right now, but if Vernon and Jordan and those guys go into games against other teams and they can't generate pressure, maybe that's a sign that our line is just that bad. Um, I, however, happen to be a little um, – happen to be a little bit on the positive side, and I believe our defensive line is just going to be that good. Um, I think that's probably yeah. a very good possibility. I mean, I'm hearing that Keiston Randall is his stepped up in the game. Um, Vaughn Martin, a guy that nobody even that was a signing that just completely went under the radar. 
they've been playing him at the end, uh, and he's been doing some good things. Jared Audrick has been playing beastly as a defensive tackle, has seen no time at the defensive end. Running's playing well. Jordan's stepping up. I mean, that's why we went out and got these guys. I mean, that's why we've got three pro bowlers, um, a high draft pick on the line. We've got these guys to generate pressure. That's their job. So, I mean, if, if we go into the Hall of Fame game and throughout the rest of the preseason and these guys can't get it done, then I'm going to be worried about our line because, I'm like, well, they were tearing up our line and they can't do anything against anybody else. I, however, believe that we're going to see, for the most part, I think we're going to see those guys uh, go out and, and, and take care of business against some of these other offensive lines. That's that's probably the biggest matchup in the Hall of Fame game that I'm going to be watching uh, the two is not only our left tackle versus their guys, but Olivier Vernon and Deion Jordan versus Tyron Smith. So I want to see how those guys, because he's a, he's a high draft pick, fairly decent left tackle. I like to see how they do against him. And that way we can kind of gauge everything else. Well, do we really want to hear that, that Claybo and Jonathan Martin are, are eating Cameron Wake alive in practice? Yeah, no. No. I mean, I can't. Th- I can't think of a more depressing piece of news than than hearing that our our uh, freaking superstar pass rusher and a guy who is just woefully underrated in the league for some reason I'll never understand except that I mean he's played for us and maybe he hasn't gotten as much press as he should. Uh, I mean I'm not surprised to hear that Claybone and Martin are struggling with Cameron Wake. They should be struggling with Cameron Cameron Wake. The best tackles. Everyone else does. Yeah, be struggling. <laughs> With Cameron Wake. Now, as for okay. Deion Jordan, I mean, here's look at. Oh, go ahead. Here's my question. Okay, uh, real quick before we do that, let me reset us. Uh, you're listening to the Return of the Fensider podcast. If you want to give us a call, get to us at three four seven three two six nine four six one. You can always hit us up on Twitter at the Fensider, and of course, we have the live thread up on the sh- on the site, so you can get leave us comments there, and we'll take your questions. Uh, the fin side where everything more, is sunshine and rainbows. Yes. Where uh, what, what is more disconcerting at this point, hearing that Dion Jordan is getting past Jonathan Martin, or would it be worse to hear that Jonathan Martin is stopping Dion Jordan? Nah, I think that you'd probably uh, – well, I don't know. It depends what you're more concerned about. And if you're worried about us uh, trading up, even though we really didn't give up that much to go get Dion Jordan – if you're concerned about that, then you obviously want to hear that Deion, you want, you're worried about the shoulder too, I think, for some people. They want to hear that Deion Jordan's in camp. I think it's, he's around 260 now, right? I want to say that that's, that's the so, way yeah. yeah, right. he's getting billed at about right now, and they think that eventually he's going to be in the, the 270 range. Uh, if you're worried about that, then, of course, you want to, you want to hear the, that Deion Jordan's pounding the crap out of Jonathan Martin. And if you're worried about our offensive line, which – I tend to worry about our offensive line more than just about, with the exception of maybe our secondary. That's usually what I'm concerned about right now with the Dolphins. So you obviously would like to hear that Jonathan Martin can take on DeAndre. But I'll tell you this, that, I mean, Jonathan Martin has a certain style, and he's always struggled with speed rushers. I mean, we read up yeah. on all of his scouting bios and everything, talking about how susceptible he was to that speed rush. And I don't know of many rookies who are going to give him more of a speed rush than Deion Jordan. So, and you, you like to hear the fact that I mean, everything I'm hearing is that Vernon has turned into an absolute monster. So we'll, we'll see how that carries into the preseason, the regular season, so on and so forth. But I mean, it could turn out that these 
these guys are just really good on the defensive uh, side of the ball. And, and I hey, real quick, that, but, uh, Duke, hold on just a second. Just uh, since I did the reset, but I, we do have a question in the thread. Uh, just want to go through real quick, identify who's who. Obviously, I'm Kevin. Duke, go ahead and let us hear your uh, voice. I'm Chris. I'm, I'm Chris. I'm from North Carolina. I'm recognizable. Okay, <laughs> and then this is Keith. Hello. My name is Keith. <laughs> and James is the guy that barely talks, but when he does, he usually comes in with something important like, Kevin, check your board. Yeah, that's me. <laughs> or, or the Mavericks are up by 50. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's not going to happen for a long time. But just so you guys know, uh, just so you guys know who's who on here, I know Lefty was asking about a Left Coast fan fan, so figured we'd go ahead and reset real quick. Uh, Duke, keep going on offensive line and Deion Jordan versus uh, Jonathan Martin. I lost my train of thought. Give me a second. Okay. Um, one thing I do okay. want to bring up, and it's just a real quick comment, and then we'll come back to that, is they apparently let Cam Wake go up against Michael Agnew tonight. I just wish I had been able to see that. <laughs> and that's one of those things, first of all. They tweeted that. I think it was James Walker, and he said, no need to even tweet about who won that. I'm like, first of all, you can take the best right tackle in the league, whoever you think that is, and line him up against Cameron Wake, and he's going to lose. So, I mean, don't – Oh, yeah. That's, to me, that's just sensationalism. Come on, man. That's, that's, that's not an indictment of Michael Agnew's lack of blocking. That's just the fact that Cameron Wake is just – he eats and destroys everyone that he climbs up against. So, And if you put him up against – Dustin Keller, I bet you he would do the same thing. You put him up against Deion Sims, I bet you he would do the same thing. It's a tight end trying to block one of, if not the best, pass rushers in the league. So, yes, he's going to get absolutely abused. But I just would have enjoyed just seeing that one clip of what just happened. Because you know Egnew at the end of it is just standing there going, uh, what do I do now? Well, I mean, man. <laughs> well, I mean, well, yeah, he obviously wants nothing to do with that. Like, who, of course, I mean, I don't care if – Agnew's been doing his MMA training or whatever. You don't look over across at 91 and think, like, yeah, I want a piece of this guy. Screw that. <laughs> but, okay. And uh, what, I, what I was going to say before, so what I was going to say uh, a few minutes ago was that, you know, Dolphins fans typically, you know, we don't we don't think of, we it's hard for us and a lot of fans to think of our defensive line as being that good. We're used to everything being bad, you know. It's like, oh, our offensive line is so terrible. We don't want to sit there and think about, oh, maybe our defensive line is just that good. Because I mean, I, w- I was watching it this m- uh, this morning when I was at uh, I was on my lunch break and I caught the um, Jeff Darlington interview when he said that people inside the organization believe our defensive line is going to be the best in the NFL. That's what he said. And the guy on whoever was running the show was like, okay, hold on a second, the best in the NFL. And I mean, it took a, it kind of you know stopped in a little bit, but that's kind of how how our organization feels about it, is that this defensive line is so good that they think it's going to be the best defensive line in the NFL, better than everyone else. So, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna go with that. I think they're going to be very 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 tough, and I think that's part of why our, our offensive line is struggling so bad. Is just because I'm I'm gonna play the optimistic one and say that our defense is just going to be or at least our front seven is just going to be that 
dominant. I got a comment on Twitter, and unfortunately, I don't have our sounds in the board anymore. When I guess over this hiatus, when Blog Talk Radio upgraded their systems, it dumped our sound, so I don't have my nifty little Twitter sounds that I really liked. But uh, is there a, is there a loyalty hashtag on it? No, there's not. Ah. <laughs> he's he's S Brandon O five. Just simply said, will we trade a DT? And I think it's it. There is a potential there that you could see a Paul Soliai or a Randy Starks get traded. I don't think there's any way Jared Odrick gets traded. I could see it, but I don't think it will actually happen. I don't think anybody's going to take Starks at eight point four five million. Obviously, prorated, however they break it down. But I don't think that you're going to see Starks. So I think it comes down to Soliai. Do you think there's any way? I'll go Keith first that we uh, can trade Solii. Yeah, of course you can. You've got a premier nose tackle in the league. Of course that guy holds value. I mean, it's something where kind of on the back of that, the nice thing with the Dolphins, the way they've set this up, is they can cycle through these defensive tackles uh, after the season and suppose suppose they trade Solii and suppose uh, Starks walks. uh you have Randall in there. You have Odrick. I mean, you can you can kind of replenish the interior with maybe one draft pick. You know, maybe you go and look for a one technique guy, someone someone with a little bit of bulk that can serve as a a sort of a a, a two gap type presence. But uh, yeah, I would say that Solia's value has got to be pretty high here because I mean, in in recent years, a lot of these teams that run these three four. Uh, these three, four sets have lost their nose tackles, or their nose tackles have gotten a lot older. And I mean, Soli has a proven commodity at this point. You know, nobody thinks like, yeah, what are we going to get with him? You know, we're. I mean, the guy's a the guy's a complete yeah. animal. I mean, he's like he's a classic, uh, just two gap space eater. Not much in the in the pass rush department, but rarely are those guys really anything to write home about in terms of a pass rush presence. So I mean, there there could be a market for him. I don't know how much how much we'd get in return. It'd be it'd be great to get a higher pick, obviously. But I think that uh, you could see some teams that are that are interested in making a move for that guy. Silence. What's going on here? I'm going to. Uh, uh, I'm gonna, I'm I was trying iterate. to form a question. I didn't know where I wanted to go. And the number one rule in radio is never have silence. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to jump in there. I'm going to jump in there. I'm going to take. A, I'm going to follow along with what Chris Kaufman said on, on Twitter about this. Apparently, there was some, some people were tweeting him about trading Randy Starks because Jared Odrick was getting a start, and he's like, "Why are Kaufman's fans so ready, so eager and willing to get rid of talent?" Um, yeah, you know, I, I'm in agreement with Keith. It depends on the market. I mean, if if somebody comes up there and throws a offers a second and a fourth for Paul Solia, I'd really think about that. But unless it's just an overwhelming offer, I'm keeping all those guys. I mean, I have no problem. It's not my money, so I have no problem with a guy like Randy Starks coming off the bench or mixing it I up. Think, I mean, think about it. We've got we've got the perfect line. We can play four three. We can play three four. We can do just about anything that we want to do. And I understand, you know, well, we can lose these guys next season. But like you said, we can probably replenish this defensive line with maybe one draft pick. 
true, we won't get anything out of it. But at the same time, you know, unless unless there's an overwhelming offer, I'm keeping all these guys because they're obviously the strength of the team, and I don't really want to weaken the team unless I can get something of super duper great value in return. Well, I mean, the value here with Soli is that he's really become an anchor in terms of a. Uh, shifting between, like, 3-4 three, and 4-3 looks. I mean, having that guy in there is, I mean, like I said, a, it's an, an anchor. I don't know how else how else you can describe it. I mean, it's an, an incredible advantage to have. And, I mean, I and I certainly wouldn't want to see Starks uh, walk either. I think both of those guys are outstanding players. Uh, the, mold, the mold here in terms of what we're looking to build is pretty clear. We're looking for that insane speed off the edge. And then we're looking to get that real push inside. I think that Audric might be a guy who can provide that. And uh, if we can't keep Soliai, and I'd love to hang on to him if it doesn't happen. I mean, there are some one, some one technique guys like Lewis Nix coming out next year. Yeah, guys that you can look at. But I mean, I certainly don't want to let them go. But especially, I think, and I like Starks, but I would rather keep Soliai just because he gives you that that incredible versatility. To, to shift between yeah. looks and really not skip a beat. I mean, that's tough to do. And yeah, that's, and that's I mean, part of the reason why I don't see a trade happening because I don't think the team wants to give up Solia. I think the only way it happens is if it's the Vontae Davis type of trade where a team calls, uh, Ireland says no, the team calls back, Ireland says no, and eventually you get down to something that you would consider as value. Uh, real quick, I do want to move away from offensive and defensive line and start putting our eye on the ball. But uh, Omar Kelly tweeted out just now, uh, got to be honest, I'm beginning to get excited about Deion Jordan. He looks like a possible difference maker right now. We'll see. Uh, at Robbie2184 wrote, Deion Jordan missed OTAs and about three days of practices, yet he leads the Dolphins in sacks in practice after only two days in team drills. So all of a sudden today, because of what Deion Jordan did out there, there's a lot of praise going his way. And I know ESPN already put up a story about how Deion Jordan was shining today in practice. So going back to the Jonathan Martin issue, if everybody's jumping on Deion Jordan this quickly, are we really saying that it's a Jonathan Martin issue or are we saying that it's Deion Jordan is playing that well? Um, I want to go, like I said, I want to get our eye onto the ball, and I think that the place to start there is going to be the wide receivers. And I know that Duke has been waiting all day to talk this, so I will turn it over to him in just a second. But my my point here is, yes, Armand Benz got hurt. Yes, we lost Armand Benz, and there's Fireland already coming up that Armand Benz, a scrap heap guy, gets hurt, and suddenly the team is spinning already and all this stuff. Guys, he was the fourth wide receiver. If we lose Brian Hartline, Mike Wallace, Brandon Gibson, and granted, I will take into account the fact that Brian Hartline is apparently hurt right now and Mike Wallace may be hurt right now. But if we lose one of those three, we can start to worry. When you lose the number four guy, you don't really have to worry because our number four wide receiver is not a wide receiver. Our number four wide receiver is Dustin Keller. Our number five guy is coming out of the backfield either as a fullback or as a running back. We're going to be okay, I promise. And I hope I didn't step on your rant, Duke, so I will now turn over the radio to you. Oh, I can't wait. Step all over it. 
Um, no, but that's, <laughs> you know, I've seen this that people are worried about wide receiver depth, and you know it's tough to lose guys to injuries. And you know it goes back to this: who who are we going to sign? When we sign Julius Pruitt, people are like, well, I wish we'd sign the you know, proven guys, or this guy was out there and that guy. This guy, if you're going to play fourth wide receiver, you're going to have to be a special teams player. That's the main thing. That's the reason they went for Julius Pruitt. People were upset that they didn't sign Collie or Laurent Robinson, but at the same time, is that the guy, you know, with all these concussion issues, you won't run him down as the gunner on special teams? You know, the guy who's going to have to hit people as hard as he can? No, you don't want a guy like that. He's going to end up hurt. You know, and, and while it's a, a nice idea to say, hey, we could sign Brandon Lloyd, and he can be our fourth wide receiver. And, you know, if one of our guys gets hurt, if one of our guys gets hurt, we can just bring him off the bench and we're not, we're not dropping off. But at the same time, you're wasting the roster spot because guys like Randy Moss, yes, I know, guys like Randy Moss and, and Brandon Lloyd, guys like that, they're not going to play special teams. So I, I think somewhere deep down with, with some of these people that are getting upset about the depth of wide receiver, there's this latent, I want one of these guys to step up and take Brian Hartline's spot. Uh, but that's not, not going to happen. We're not going to sign a guy to take Brian Hartline's spot. He's 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 entrenched. So whoever, if that's what they're thinking, they need to get over that. This wide receiver stuff, the depth we're looking for, you know, last year at this time we were trying to find starters. We're not worried about that now. We're not trying to find backups to special teams guys. It's not a big deal at this point. Yeah, if we lose guys, you lose guys. But, you know, that happens. You know, this this whole thing's not a big deal to me. Yeah, just, I think it's just, it annoys me to see all see all this. People worried about it all of a sudden because we lost one guy, and, and yeah, he was making plays in camp, and he was a guy maybe pushing for that third spot. But at the same time, there are obviously concerns there. But when you're talking your fourth wide receiver, you're not talking about somebody that's going to get a thousand yards. You're not talking about somebody that's getting seventy-five to a hundred catches. So. Are we really going to immediately jump on to everything is screwed up and the Dolphins suck because Armand Benz got hurt? He shouldn't be wearing that number 19. Uh, absolutely not. The good thing is, as long as he has the number 19, Caleb Sturgis doesn't get it. And Caleb Sturgis already had a groin injury, but Caleb Sturgis was number 19 in college. So you know that's the number he wanted. And yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't want our kids to wear them. Oh, man. It's, uh, I, it's nice to see everything get back to normal with the Fireland uh, hashtags. I was starting to miss those for a while. So it's nice to get those back. But I think you are wise to bring up the fact that uh, the role that we were looking for for Ben to uh, fill is something that we've got. Keller and maybe Agnew and maybe Deion Sims doing too, you know, in terms of like these yep. these bigger yep. body threats, uh, guys who might be able to get stuff done in the red zone. I know Keller's not the best producer in the red zone, but uh, cer- certainly along those lines. So I think it's it's a good idea to bring that up and say like, you know, he isn't the only big body uh, receiver type we have around here. So I mean, it's it's unfortunate to see it. To see that Benz is hurt, I was thinking that it, it might have worked out, but it's it's nothing to freak out about or or start with and, the Fireland stuff or and, you yeah. know. And there's two other names that, that popped up. One that you I, I didn't I didn't hear. I'm, you may have said I didn't hear it, but 
Um, I think Charles Clay has actually stepped up a little bit in this camp. He's playing a little more consistent. Um, scored a touchdown the other night uh, in the scrimmage. I believe he's becoming a little more comfortable in the system, and I believe he's the guy that's going to get more targets. And, uh, you know, the the 2012 draft favorite, Marvin McNutt, is stepping up. So um, <laughs> I think all these injuries, especially with Matthews, I think Matthews will still make the team. I hope he does. But I think it's allowing other guys to step up. And, you know, I was following Twitter tonight. Some other guys, like Tims and Fuller, I think got some more playing time with the ones tonight. But um, McNutt is a guy that Tannehill mentioned by name as a, as a guy who has stepped up and been impressive. And I think – Injury to Armand Benz is going to allow him a, a better opportunity to make. I think there's some guys there that we can have for depth. And like you're saying, we're talking about a guy that's probably going to get 30 to 40 targets, not catches, targets this year. So it's not a big deal. Um, you know, but it does allow some of these young guys to step up, earn their way on special teams, and maybe technically we have a player with McNutt who needs, a, you know, a year of development. And then next year he can take, you know, can get more involved with the offense or something. So. You know, it's just, to me, the depth there is not an issue right now. Kevin doesn't want Ohio, to comment. Ohio put up on Twitter, Ohio Fin Fan uh, put up on Twitter, when you're talking fourth wide receiver, you've run out of things to talk about. And I think that's probably a valid point. But what, what are you going to say about me and Star Matthews? Hello? Did I lose Keith? Oh, what, what what are you trying to say about me and Richard Matthews? That you hate him. Oh, I don't hate Richard Matthews. I don't. I just don't. I just don't have him as high up on my death chart as other people. And I don't know what I am not seeing that everybody else is. That's all I'm saying. I think it's uh, whenever we we come across these these, these guys because I mean he's got a little bit of a bigger body. I mean he, he's definitely built to. To take a little bit of a pounding over the middle, but anytime you find those guys, and it looks like there's there's promise there, there's there's room to get excited because I mean history has shown that a, a lot of these these hard nosed type players, these guys who um, have the speed to really get it done. If I mean he's not a burner or anything, but I think his speed was better than people thought coming uh, coming out of Nevada. But uh, I think I think he really it looked like he had the tools to really make it work as a, you know, a, a number three receiver on this team. So, I don't know. I, to be honest with you, I have I can't remember the last time I really agonized over the, the Dolphins receiver situation. It's It became incredibly apparent to me, and I talked to Duke about this last March. when we After we signed Braden Gibson, we kind of looked at each other and said, well, we're probably not going to draft a receiver now. I mean, you just knew that they, we were looking for the guys with experience, the guys who could flex out in uh, in multiple roles. And I think that, I mean, with the addition of some of these uh, these lower tier guys, and I, you know, like a McNutt, McNutt could could turn out to be an, an absolute gem for us, or an acorn, as people people are uh, referring to these guys as. So, I mean, however it works out. Uh, I'm not really worried about the the receivers right now. As long as they're healthy, as long as Hartline isn't out for multiple games or our uh, $500 million receiver isn't injured. I mean, guys like that, I mean, that's when you can really start to get upset, and that would really bother me. But as of right now, I like Ben's. I'm sorry to see him go, but we, we definitely have a lot of keepable bodies in there right now. 
And it sounds like there are guys, like Duke said, there are guys who are stepping up. So all is not lost right now. I yeah, want to uh, I mean, I'm I'm shift gears. I want to shift gears real quick. We'll come back and talk more training camp and everything. But I do want to get to. I got a chance to sit down yesterday with Katie Drummond from Blogging the Boys, and talk about this weekend's game because Sunday night the Dolphins are on TV. Preseason football is back underway. So we are back to the actual football season, and we won't be talking about the random things like Hatgate, Kaepernick, and Hatgate, Pouncey. So um, I want to go ahead and start that. Uh, I wish we could have done it live, but unfortunately we couldn't. So I can't have you guys ask him questions or listeners. I can't get you guys to ask him questions. But here's what we talked about in previewing uh, the Hall of Fame game Sunday night. Okay, guys, now I'm here with Katie Drummond from over at SB Nation's blog, Blogging the Boys, covering the Dallas Cowboys. Amazing site. Uh, Katie has taken over as one of the editors. Is that correct, Katie? Yes, that's correct. I'm one of the site editors under our esteemed leader, Dave Halperin. Uh, I can't say too many nice things about man because I say it might explode, but he's an awesome guy to work, work <laughs> with, so very, very fortunate to be where I am. I, I met Dave a couple years ago up in uh, New York, so... I, I enjoy talking to Dave and working with him behind the scenes. So congratulations on moving up to the editor and keep working well with him. But uh, Appreciate thanks, it. And as we get going on this, thank you very much for taking a few minutes with us tonight to talk Cowboys. Sure. Obviously, the Hall of Fame game is coming up this weekend, first preseason game of the year. So there's a lot of expectations going into this, but there's also a lot of realization that this is the first of five preseason games for both the Cowboys and the Dolphins. It's not going to be something where we're going to be out there watching Ryan Tannehill throwing to Mike Wallace, and we're not going to probably see Tony Romo, maybe at all, but not going to see Tony Romo and Des Bryant trying to light it up on the other side. So who who from the, we'll say, reserves group could stand out for the Cowboys going into this game? Well, the fortunate thing about the way that the Cowboys have been developing over the last couple of years is there's a lot of young guys, I think, that could make an impact, uh, not necessarily just for this game, but over the season. We have a lot of young guys. It was actually commented today that our first four round, uh, first four draft picks from this past draft were all running with the ones in practice today. Now, some of those are because of injury, um, but overall, our first four guys were all practicing with the ones. So I think you could see a lot of them. Um, obviously, first-round draft pick, Travis Frederick, uh, he'll play center. He'll run guard with the second team as we try to work out where he goes in the offensive line. Uh, our second-round uh, our second round draft pick, Gavin Escobar, the tight end. Our main backup, James Hanna, he's actually out with a hamstring injury, so you're going to see a lot of Escobar, especially since Witten probably isn't going to get a lot of run at tight end, so you'll see him a lot. Uh, but the two guys that I'm most excited about are the next guys in line, Terrence Williams, the wide receiver out of Baylor, uh, he's our right now penciled in as our third wide receiver. He's in a battle with Dwayne Harris, a third-year guy. Uh, but he's really been coming on of late. Um, a lot of the stuff that he was confused about early in the camp, he seems to be letting that go, and he's running great routes, and he's a guy that can pretty much take the top of the defense. Obviously, he led the NCAA in uh, yardage uh, and catches, I believe, in 2012. And then on the flip side of the ball is safety J.J. Wilcox, who is one of my main pet cats, uh, to use a Bill Parcellsism. 
Um, he's, he's a guy that I really, I really love. And obviously, you know, Dolphins fans, y'all know a lot about Bill Parcellsism. They were, you yeah. know, we had him as a coach, so we got great press conferences. That I don't think y'all got as many as the GM, but still, um, JJ Wilcox is a guy. He just lays the wood to people. He is out there really hitting uh, to the point that they're telling him to calm down in practice because he might knock out some of our own <laughs> players. Um, but he, he's a very intriguing case. He's only played safety for one year. He was a convert at Georgia Southern, a small school from running back slash wide receiver, played safety for the first time. But he has, according to all reports, amazing instincts. So right now he's running with the ones because Barry Church has been out with like a root canal or something stupid like that. But uh, he has a chance (laughs) to really make a play on becoming a starter because he's behind Will Allen, who obviously in the AFC conference, you guys know, he's a journeyman type of safety, came on for Pittsburgh at the the, uh, last year when they had injuries to Ryan Clark and Troy Palomalu. But to me, he's just kind of a journeyman guy. And I think that that spot is something that Wilcox can eventually take from him. Uh, So I'll be very interested to see what he can do. As I I assume he's going to get a lot of snaps against your, your, uh, your backups that are going to be playing on Sunday. Bill Parcells and great is not a set of words that normally go together around Miami Dolphins fans. Not not, not for Miami, no, that's, sir. <laughs> that's, that's a whole other issue. I'm here with Katie Drummond from SB Nation's Blogging the Boys, talking Dallas Cowboys and previewing the Hall of Fame game coming up on Sunday. Uh, want to talk real quick. Just, I want to know your reaction when, in the first round, you guys took Frederick because that was a pick that a lot of people just kind of went, wait, what? <laughs> well, to be truthful, I was shocked. I did probably more off-season draft work this year, not probably, definitely, more off-season draft work this year than I ever done in the past, where I was actually had 150 players on my big board. I think the count was actually 171. Um, but I was all gung-ho trying to get Jonathan Cooper. That was my guy. That's who I wanted. I wasn't going to have anybody talk me out of it. Jonathan Cooper, guard, North Carolina, that's who I wanted. So seeing how he started to creep up the board as we got closer and closer to the draft, I knew he wasn't going to be available unless we made a move. So I was kind of resigned to be disappointed no matter what happened. And then when Dallas traded down and the initial reaction going off of the Jimmy Johnson draft board, draft chart, uh, draft value chart was that we got hosed because if you look at that <laughs> old chart, you saw that the value wasn't there. However, as I learned following that, there are subsequent other draft charts that people use and that are frequently used that said that we actually came out on top in that trade, and it wasn't as if they were completely off their rocker and only getting the third-round pick back from San Francisco. The pick of Frederick surprised me not because of the position. I love the fact that they went interior offensive line because that was our biggest need. Keeping Romo from having to escape the pocket on every play is probably paramount to any success Cowboys are going to have moving forward. But I had Travis Frederick as a very late second-round pick. I believe I had 16 players as first-round rated guys, and then I had a crazy number of guys that were in the second round. And Travis Frederick was actually at the bottom of that list along with two other players, Kyle Long, 
and then Justin Pugh, who we know were picked by Chicago and New York in the first round. And nobody seems to have a problem with those guys picking those players <laughs> that early. But the Cowboys getting Travis Frederick at the end of the first round, as well as Terrence Williams, who came along as a third-round pick. But everybody's up in arms because everybody likes to dog the Cowboys. So was I happy with the pick when it happened? No. Was I disappointed? Yes. Did I learn quickly that just because it wasn't what I planned or what I had foresaw for the team to do that didn't necessarily make it the wrong decision, yes, I eventually got to that point. And it happened rather quickly because that's just kind of the way that things move. Once you sit back and you say, hey, there are other ways that you can, you know, multiple ways to skin a cat, and this is how they addressed it. So when you look at the fact that the way that the offensive linemen, especially the interior offensive linemen, were flying off of the board in the first round, it strictly made sense based on the fact that the Cowboys have made a concerted effort to always, with their first-round pick, draft the best player at his position. They've done it year after year. They did it with Morris Claiborne. Uh, they did it with Des Bryant. Uh, it's just kind of been their pattern over the last couple of years. That that's what they do. They always like to get the best player at a position, and that's what they did drafting the center in Travis Frederick. And we all got to see their draft board anyway because uh, Jerry Jones likes to take pictures in front of it, apparently. But, there you uh, go. Uh, yeah, shout, shout, out, shout out to Rabble Rouser who, who cracked that draft board, and, you know, he got us a little famous. We were on first take. Well, we were mentioned on first take. They didn't want to interview anybody, but they mentioned <laughs> us on first take and on all those different shows. We had a little scroll and everything, so we were very proud of that moment. It was nice. We used it on the Finsider and did some analysis of the Dolphins draft according to how Jerry Jones would look at it. But uh, the guy that you guys took that a lot of Dolphins fans were big on and really wanted to see come to Miami is Escobar. And mm. the Dolphins, Dolphins fans were very big on trying to address our tight end position. And then Dustin Keller came, and we kind of backed off of it a little bit, but he's only on a one-year contract. So we were really looking at maybe addressing that tight end. We ended up getting Deion Sims, who is a bigger body guy, but seems – Right, and people are starting to realize is more athletic than they re- than they thought when they just saw this big body tight end. But how has Escobar looked, and how how do you expect him to be used this year? Well, the interesting thing about Escobar is that he can't block, and and that that's that's the issue. He wasn't asked to block when he was at uh, when he was in Aztec, San Diego State. He wasn't asked to block. He was their main offensive weapon, so they kept him out in, in routes. And he's such a big guy that getting low in order to get that leverage is really sort of a problem for him. But when it comes to catching, the dude catches anything in any kind of radius. I mean, he'll go high, he'll go low, he'll catch the ball behind his back, he'll do a cartwheel like Clinton Portis. It doesn't matter. If you throw it anywhere near Gavin Escobar, he's going to haul the pass in. And that right there is a obvious plus when you're talking about a guy that can be used in red zone situations down the seam. Now, he's also not a very fast guy. He didn't run a great 40 time. He's not going to run right past anybody. Um, But as I'm sure you know, that's not a prerequisite for getting open in the NFL. If you can run precise routes, if you can cut on a dime, if you have this gigantic catch radius and you can get up and sky above defenders, especially linebackers or safeties, depending on who the matchup is, you can definitely make your way in the NFL as a tight end. Now, his official position on the depth chart right now is he's third tight end. 
but the Cowboys are going to be running a base 12 form, uh, personnel set this year. Um, so we're talking about Jason Witten, and then right now the number two is James Hanna. James Hanna we got out of uh, Oklahoma in the sixth round last year. So he has the speed and athleticism to, you know, run past people. That's not an issue for Hanna. So the idea is that we have both Hanna and Escobar to give us our variations on the 12 and then the big 12 personnel packages and then even looking to doing some 13 personnel when we're down to the goal line and really maximizing the value of having people that can block adequately because Hannah's not the best blocker either, but block adequately enough but really be a passing game threat that you have to account for them when you're lining up against us on defense. So that's really what we're looking at right now is how quickly they can get him to at least become adequate in the blocking game, and the quicker he does that, the more we're going to be able to utilize him in year one and as the year progresses. It's funny that you said uh... – He's not a blocker and doesn't know how to block and was never asked to block. I was chuckling as you were saying that because that's exactly what the Dolphins drafted last year in Michael Agnew, and he has <laughs> driven Dolphins fans nuts because of that. Uh, Mike Sherman absolutely 100% wants a guy who can block, and Michael Agnew mm-hmm. can't do that. And he's gotten better this year. Don't get me wrong. He went out and he worked MMA and all this kind of stuff to try to get right. better at blocking. And he's making progress this year. He's not going to be a guy that goes out there and tears up the world. But it was just—it was funny that you said that because I just imagine Escobar coming into Miami and having the exact same problem that we saw Eggman have last year. And we well, all see, wanted the scary, Escobar. So the, the scary thing for us is that the fact that Jason Witten is such a great blocker. If we're running right. packages with Witten and Escobar. Are we really keeping Witten in and letting Escobar run routes? That's, you know, that's kind of counterproductive. I mean, I love everything that Escobar does, but we're talking about Jason freaking Witten. You're not going to keep him in to let somebody else run tight end routes. So, um, obviously, you do that as a change of pace to kind of, you know, obviously you're going to assign a quality defender to be on Jason Witten when you have both of them in there and you can play those sort of games. Uh, but overall, sometimes you just kind of have to do what you do best. And Jason Witten staying in the block while somebody else goes on routes, not really the best scenario in my opinion. So it'll be interesting to see how quickly he can pick up on this blocking. And, again, like I said, his height is such a disadvantage because blocking is all about leverage. And if you're that yeah. tall and you can't bend, what are you going to do? You know, so we're, we're keeping an eye out on it. Uh, as, as we're about a week and a half into training camp right now, because you guys start at the same time as the Dolphins with the yep. Hall of Fame game. So how are, how has Oxnard been this year, and how healthy are you guys going into this first game? Whew. Well, Oxnard has been beautiful from all reports. Unfortunately, I didn't get a chance to fly out this year. i got to make it out next year, but we do have a man on the street. Uh, Rabble Rouser, uh, as I spoke earlier, he's out there, and he he's live at camp pretty much all the time with us. Um, but camp overall has been a success with an asterisk by it, if, if that's the way that you want to frame it. We lost guys on the very first day. We lost our backup defensive end, Tyrone Crawford, to an Achilles injury on the first day, done for the year, tackling dummy drill. wasn't even contact, tackling dummy drill. And automatically, all of the oomph, all of the passion, all of the excitement about rejoining camp got sucked out of everybody. Because last year, by the time we made it to our blue and white scrimmage, which is basically the the first Sunday uh, following the opening of camp, we had like 18 players down at the time. 
This year we only had 10, so we're doing a little happy dance that we only had 10 <laughs> guys that were injured for this. But it's a serious issue. Um, Anthony Spencer, he's hurt. Uh, I believe he came into camp hurt, and he was kind of shielding the injury from the Cowboys while he was in negotiation trying to get a long-term contract as our franchise player. He has a bone bruise as well as bone spurs that he just had a scope done to clean that out. They say he's going to be fine when it comes down time for the regular season, but he's most likely out for most of camp. Uh, we have a consistent issue with hamstring injuries. For some reason, we're just uh, we're struck with the hamstring voodoo magic. Uh, we Jay Ratliff is out with a hamstring. Ben Bass, who is the third string defensive end, he's out with a hamstring. James Hanna is out with a hamstring. Mac Bernadow, one of our starting guards, is out with a hamstring. Uh, two of our other guards have spent time on the injuries list and are and are and are just coming back now. We had guys failing conditioning tests. It was just kind of like, oh, man, here we go again. But most of this stuff seems to be of the short-term variety, and they're just going to be overly cautious and make sure that we try to be at as close to full strength as possible when it comes down time to face the Giants for week one. So overall, our injury uh, situation, as I said, not as bad as last year, still not great. Uh, right now, even Des Bryant's uh, nursing a sore hip. Uh, so even if they were planning on having him out there for Sunday's game, it's very doubtful in my eyes that he'll be out there. Uh, Tony Romo, he's recovering from assist removal uh, back in April. He's been fine throughout the season, uh, throughout the offseason uh, work that he's been doing since he came back, since we started camp. He seems fine, uh, but it's probably going to hold him out simply because, as you know, first-string quarterbacks play a series at most when you only have four preseason games. You're tacking on a fifth. So you're going to be extra cautious with anybody that has any kind of thing that's a first-string guy. And I think that's what you're going to see with us on Sunday. Uh, real quick, I want to talk um, Jason Garrett a little bit because he's somebody the Dolphins know, having been a sure. backup quarterback and a quarterback's coach for the Dolphins. I'm on with Katie Drummond from Blogging the Boys, SB Nation's Dallas Cowboys site. So this offseason we've heard a lot of, Jason Garrett's on the hot seat. He's having the play calling taken away from him. Uh, Jerry Jones is dictating who his assistant coaches are going to be and all this kind of stuff. So what is the situation with Garrett, and how is he handling all of this? Well, I, let, me, let me first say that back when the Cowboys introduced their staff that they were bringing on last year at the beginning, there was an introductory press conference. They brought in Bill Callahan offensive line, Jerome Henderson, DBs, um, and another another coach that came on at the time. Jason Garrett said in that introductory press conference, January 2012, that once Callahan got himself familiar with the system that Garrett likes to run and with the quarterback, Tony Romo, he would have absolutely no problem turning over the play-calling duties to Bill Callahan. He said this a year and a half ago. Every single Dallas beat writer was in that room during that press conference. <laughs> However, they all miraculously have forgotten that for the last year and a half and turned around and said, this is all Jerry Jones doing. He's, he's cutting off Jason Garrett at the knees, and that's the body part that I'm saying, you know, because this might be a PG show, so I'm going to use the knees as a body part of saying what, they're, what Jerry's supposedly cutting off. And it's just been amazing to me to see that 
completely be ignored the fact that this was in the plans. Now, Jason Garrett isn't the savviest media person. He despises the media by all accounts of what I can see. He doesn't want to let them know anything about the Dallas Cowboys. So he plays these games where he doesn't want to answer any questions about anything that's asked to him. He tries to stonewall them. Unfortunately, our, our owner, Jerry Jones, doesn't play that game. He looks at every opportunity in front of a microphone as a chance for him to show how awesome he is at putting this team together, and he lets stuff leak. So you run into the, the paradox of saying uh, Jason doesn't want the information out, Jerry doesn't care what comes out, and you get these situations where it appears to an outsider that, yes, uh, Jerry Jones is controlling things and he's doing stuff that the coach doesn't want. He's actually just doing stuff that the coach doesn't want to talk about. Now, right. Garrett's had two straight eight and eight seasons. He, you know, he came in as the interim guy five and three when he took over for Wade Phillips at two straight eight and eight seasons. If the Cowboys tank this year, sure he's on the hot seat. Who wouldn't be on the hot seat if you go eight and eight, eight and eight, and then you then you uh, then you you know um, you reverse that and, and go a little bit worse than that, but. If the Cowboys get down to the last game of the season like they have the last two years in a row and miss the playoffs, I don't think that Jason Garrett's getting fired. If they go 6-10, and 5-11, and 11, sure, he deserves to be fired. He hasn't made the transition that's necessary for this team. But for me, the hot seat is kind of a win two games in the playoffs or you're out, you know, that sort of thing. But it's all going to be dependent on how the team performs this year. And in all actuality, which coach in the NFL isn't in that position? You know, if Mike Shanahan and the Redskins go 4-12 and this year, he's probably going to be on the hot seat as well. But you wouldn't have assumed that going into the season. So I think all of that talk is really just off-season bluster, and it's something when people are bored, they don't have much to write about, so they say, "Well, you know, Garrett's on the hot seat, this, that, and the other." But for me, it's all going to be—it's all going to be about the results from this coming season. Right, and that's—I mean—that's every coach in the league. So, uh, last question for you before I let you go. Um, you said Des Bryant is a little nicked up right now. Uh, Miles Austin is somebody who's had several injuries over the past year since getting his big contract extension back in 2010. So Mm -hmm. what is the status of the wide receivers? Um, How are they going to be this year? And is Des Bryant still on his he's going for 2,000 yards kick? Uh, If I was going to use one word to describe our wide receiver core, I would say exciting. I, I am so excited about this group of receivers that we have right now. First and foremost, I've uh, actually said the last couple times I did a, I did a video uh, that just went up yesterday. Um, I did a podcast last week when I said the same thing, that the way that Des Bryant is performing in these practices and the way that he ended last season, I would not be surprised if he made a run at AP Offensive Player of the Year. He's that good right now. And it's it's not even so much – his physical talent, which we've all seen, uh, you know, you, you can't deny it when you watch him on film, especially the last eight games of the season once. Um, well, let, let me give you some backstory. The whole issue with the arrest over, you know, the assault of his mom and everything, that got cleared up midseason last year. Des Bryant had the best second half of a season that pretty much anybody has ever put up in the NFL after that got taken off of his shoulders. And when you hear the man in interviews and when you see his actions around the team and how he interacts with everybody, this dude gets it. He is comfortable with himself. He's comfortable with with who he is as a man. And I think that that is going to allow him 
to realize all the potential that he has as a player. So I know the Offensive Player of the Year award is kind of like the Heisman. It only ever goes to quarterbacks and running backs. But I honestly think that even though they have so much depth at the wide receiver position, that he could be that Terrell Owens 2007 target for Tony Romo, where he's, you know, 100 balls, 1,600, 1,700 yards, 15 touchdowns, 17 touchdowns, just a constant threat at all times. Now, you asked about the group in general. Uh, Miles Austin, he will he played all 16 games last year. Whenever, uh, well, he, he played in. In reality, he played 13 of 16, and he was pretty much playing injured for the rest of the season. He still had almost 1,000 yards. He still had numbers that were extremely great, 60, 63 catches, 1,000 yards, you know, seven touchdowns or so. That's, that, those kind of numbers for a second receiver are dynamic. You know, most teams don't have a second receiver that can put up those kind of numbers, especially when you add in the fact that you have a player like Jason Witten who's getting 100-plus balls and 1,000 yards. When you add into that the element of Terrence Williams, who seems to be ahead of the curve uh, for rookie wide receivers as a third wide receiver, when you add into that Dwayne Harris and his ability uh, to kind of be the jitterbug type, uh, you know, a Patrick Creighton, type of player for the Cowboys that he came on the end of last year, plus a guy that everybody loves, a fan favorite, Cole Beasley, uh, you know, very diminutive, very athletic guy, five foot eight. He can do reverse windmill dunks. Um, he, he's very athletic, and, and he's just pretty much, I don't want to call him Wes Welker because you always run into trouble when any receiver, any <laughs> wide receiver gets compared to Wes Welker. Um, but, you know, he, he's really that that kind of guy that's a problem. He knows how to how to – What's the best way to say it? He, he knows how to manage space. He can sense defenders, and he knows how to get down. He knows how to get free. And I think that entire core of receivers is just going to be dynamic weapons for Tony Romo. If the offensive line gives him more than three seconds, I think they can do great things. But, of course, we don't know if that's going to happen. So when I draft Des Bryant for my fantasy team and I ride him to a championship, I'm a genius. If he exactly. lets me down, I'm going to hunt you down and make you listen to this part of the show again just because you steered me wrong. Uh, I am staking I am staking my fantasy <laughs> advice reputation on the line with Des Bryant. The only wide receiver you should consider ahead of him is Calvin Johnson, and I think they're going to be neck and neck. I think they're going to be well, neck and neck. Now, that's personally because I don't like Matt Stafford. But, you know, overall, I really see that kind of season coming out of Des Bryant. I really do. You don't like that guy down south of Dallas, down Andre Johnson? I, I love Andre Johnson. I'm worried that his time I, – I love Andre Johnson. The injuries worry me. I don't right. know if he can be a consistent 16-game threat uh, to the point that I, I think he's just going to be overdrafted uh, based on reputation, and I just wouldn't take the risk myself personally. There's going to be a lot of other guys that I would take ahead of Andre Johnson, and for that reason I know he's going to be gone before he gets to the point where I would take him. Right. Well, KD, let us know how can we follow you. What, what do you guys have going on over on Blogging the Boys, all that kind of stuff. Oh, man, it's crazy. You can find me everywhere. I'm the man with a thousand hats. Follow me on Twitter. I'm at KDP10 for 10. That's the name of the contest that I run every season that you guys should make sure you come over to Blogging the Boys and check it out. That's at KDP10FOR10. I also man the main account for the site at Blogging the Boys, the Facebook.com slash Blogging the Boys. 
Um, you can find me on YouTube. I do the uh, the, cha- the Blog of the Boys YouTube channel, SBN Blog of the Boys. Cowboys Crunch Time with KD is my podcast. It's available for download on iTunes every Wednesday night, 9 p.m. Eastern Time on blogtalkradio.com. It's a live broadcast. Um, let's see, anything else? I mean, you can put up a smoke signal. I'll probably answer your Cowboys question that <laughs> way. You name it, I do it. Definitely appreciate you having me on, man. Thank you very much for coming in. I know you're up in uh, Redskins country, so I know you enjoy yes. talking Cowboys whenever you get the chance. Oh, so, man, I, I, I give it to them. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I'm sure we'll talk again later, but hope you guys have a good game on Sunday. No injuries, and in the end, it's the first preseason game, so really the score doesn't matter. Exactly. Let's just do a, all do a happy dance of football is back. <laughs> you have a good night. All right, take care. So as we come back live, a huge thank you to KD for coming on, giving us a look at the Cowboys, a little bit about the game, a little bit about what they should expect this season. Uh, Go ahead and bring on the rest of the hosts and producers. So, guys, any thoughts as you were listening to it or anything that you're thinking of for this weekend, what we should expect from the Cowboys and what we should expect to do against the Cowboys this weekend? I think we want to see a lot of Pat Devlin. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I, I I'm just happy to be watching the Dolphins, so I don't really care as long as nobody gets hurt. Um, I think for me, the, the biggest thing is just watching some of these, some of, you know, watching the offensive line, watching some of these these backups and see how they do. I mean, I'm gonna be trying to watch DeAndre Presley as much as possible for obvious reasons. Um, and, you know, things like that. I mean, not a, not a, not a great deal to, to take from this other than, you know, just watching some of these guys try to make the team and what they do. I mean, we're, we're going to throw a very vanilla defense at them. Um, Tony Romo may or may not even start. I don't know how that's going. Um, so, you know, it doesn't – yeah, the, the main thing for me that I want to, to take away from – from the game, I just don't want fans to freak out if we don't win or somebody looks bad. I mean, that, you know, I just don't want to have to see on Twitter or on the site people, oh, no, this, this one particular thing happens, you know, Hall of Fame game, our, our team's going to suck. We're going 1-15 this year because, you know, some you know, fifth-string cornerback gave up a touchdown or something. You know. Hopefully it's not going to be like that, but. That's all I'm worried about. I just don't want to see a bunch of people freak out because it's one basically meaningless game. Um, So I don't know. I mean, I don't think there's a whole lot to take away from it other than just watching the backups do their thing. Keith, any thoughts? No, about the Hall of Fame game. Yeah, about the Hall of Fame game. I think uh, I think the big thing is just simply the fact that we are back in football and that the game is so, being played. Which is so vanilla. Yeah, it will you know, be. It absolutely I mean, will be. We're not gonna, I highly doubt we're going to see anything resembling a stylistic game plan, uh, even really much of a, an offensive identity in terms of what we're really looking to do. I mean, I'm sure we'll try to play fast, but as long as there's no injuries, I really don't care. I'm looking at. I'm just, it. I'm just excited to, to watch him play. 
I don't think you're going to see Mike Wallace. I don't think you're going to see Brian Hartline. So I think that with guys just a little bit nicked up, even if they do practice tomorrow, um, I think that in this game you're going to hold those guys out because it really is all about the depth on the roster and finding guys numbered 80 through 90 and which one of them has a shot at making 50, the 53-man roster. So I think that's what you're going to see. Um, I think Tannehill will go in there for a few plays. I think you'll see probably Brandon Gibson out there, but you're not going to see Hartline and Wallace. I think the offensive line is probably the only set of starters that could get a decent number of work just because they're going to start doing all the offensive line shuffling around and they're going to try to figure out something there. But even that will be vanilla hey, block the guy in front of you, hey, we'll do some, uh, maybe a couple of guard pulls or something. But, yeah, it's going to be very boring. Um, And since I transitioned into offensive line shuffling, our first caller of the night, Eddie, wants to talk about the O-line shuffling. So, Eddie, welcome to the show. How are you tonight? Hey, appreciate it, man. I'm doing good. I'm a couple hours behind you guys out here in Idaho and huge Dolphins fan. you know, the offensive line, I mean, I hear everybody saying that, you know, it's a meaningless game and, you know, Hall of Fame game just about watching backups or whatever. But, you know, listen, ever since, you know, we, we went through the, the emotions of, of whether Jake Long was going to stay or go, you know, a lot of different opinions on whether him on the, on the left side was better for this team or whether him leaving was better for this team. And then, you know, Jonathan Martin, um, you know, hey, everyone's like, well, he protected Andrew Lux blindside, you know, at Stanford, we'll be, we'll be all right, you know. And, and then you hear mixed reporting from, you know, different media outlets down in South Florida. I mean, everything I have to read is across the board from newspaper to Internet and everything else. And I, I see this inconsistent reporting, and it kind of gives me an inconsistent feeling about the offensive line because I think a lot of fans that aren't close to you the Dolphins in South Florida, that region, we rely on media. And, you know, and, I, and this is my first time listening to your cast, by the way, and I'm very impressed. I like it a lot. Um, well, thank you. You're very welcome. So my concern is, is, is you know, the, the whole thing, and like you guys said, it's, it's, it's really nothing. But, you know, depth and, you know, I kind of want to, I want to see, um, I want to see what Dallas does on the right, I think they're on the right side. Uh, I don't, you know, I, I don't, Claybo may be there for just a moment. Cogs may be there for just a moment, but it seems to me like the right side nobody's worried about. You know, the kind of you know pounces. He's pretty much going to do his thing. Um, my question to you is just kind of what your feeling is, and, and just and not a cookie cutter reply because you hear the same kind of things over and over. I just kind of would appreciate a little bit more of an angle on looking at the offensive line now and not. It's kind of a two-part. Not only the, the the seven men that they're going to dress, but when you look at the offensive line right now, shooting forward through the preseason, how do you think they're going to to put it together to a protect Ryan Tannehill and 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 make it so that if he's going to be mobile in the pocket, it's a design play and not him running for his life. And b how do you think this they can put this offensive line together to help Lamar Miller, to help Daniel Thomas? to help Mike Gillisley, to help that trio of backs complement and help the passing game, you know, play action, which Tannehill is the best in the league at play action from what I remember reading. Um, how are they going to do it, and who do you think is going to step up? Well, in I terms think that, of uh, – I'll let you go, Keith. 
Well, the the seeds of the zone blocking scheme have already been sown in terms of the interior, which is why I think you're looking at guys like Samuda right now. Uh, Incognito is always in there, and Lewis, Dallas Thomas, and obviously Pouncey. In terms of really being able to bust it open for Lamar Miller, who's expected to have a big season, I think the the seeds are already there. I don't know if anyone's really going to step up in terms of a zone blocking scheme. I think that uh, this is the type of group that, communicates well, can uh, really get it done together. Uh, I'm not surprised that we drafted Dallas Thomas. If you ever look at his tape out of Tennessee, I mean, the guy can get to the second level uh, pretty quick for someone that size. So it's clear what their MO is in terms of the interior. The trick is really, and we talked about this earlier, uh, the reason nobody's talking about the right side right now, is, uh, which has been a focal point in past years, is because all eyes are on Jonathan Martin. So right. I guess uh, not – really a cop-out, but you're looking for someone to step up. The nice thing about the zone-blocking scheme is you don't have to be uh, that mammoth island-type guy on the left side. You don't have to be a Jake Long. You don't have to be even a Ryan Claddy. Uh, but if you're looking for someone to step up, it, it, it's got to be Jonathan Martin. It's got to be some guy, I mean, the guy on the left side who's able to really reinforce his base and – have it set up so you're not worried about Ryan Tannehill any time that your left tackle sees a power move. Because like I said earlier, if if people realize that that guy's susceptible to it, and he always has been, by the way. It's been the book on him since, I mean, he's out of Los Angeles. It's been the book on him the whole time that he struggles with power moves. How how do you think the defenses are going to, how are they going? I mean, I'm I'm honestly kind of new to the, to the zone blocking, watching this team do it just real quickly. How, how are defenses going to attack the fins, and how do you expect them to adjust to it? Because it just seems like every year over the past few years, our offensive line, they show signs of greatness. They show signs of, of, of just beating people on the line of scrimmage, pushing people off the ball, and then it falls apart. And I know they have injuries and everything, but it just seems there, there was a lot of inconsistency. How do de- If you're a defense, and how does Miami respond to it? I mean, you know. Well, it's a change in identity now. I mean, you're talking about in past years where, I mean, we, we had that kind of like blowing off the ball mentality, and we had we were looking for all the, these ox-type guys uh, in the middle and to, to really get it done. I, now you're going to see these guys really staying hip-to-hip, working in tandem uh, to, to really open up the, these holes in the middle. And the, the thing is, that's why they went and got, got a guy like Lamar Miller, a, a one-cut-type guy, who as soon as he gets up on the heels of the offensive line, I mean, that guy is going to make his decision and he's going to go. I mean, yeah. it's really, I mean, the the guesswork is greatly taken out of the running game when it comes to this stuff. I mean, it's very much a, a point and shoot with this type of stuff. So uh, in terms of the interior, I, I'm not worried at all. I saw uh, glimpses last year with Pouncey working with, just getting downfield, really working together, uh, targeting linebackers, just really getting at these guys and taking them out. Uh, again, I think in terms of where you're going to see teams try to attack the Dolphins, it's got to be the blind side right now. Because, I mean, Claybo's a veteran. Claybo's the type of guy, I mean, a lunch pail type guy, uh, really proto-mauler type, uh, nasty. And the one thing you're you're noticing out of the offensive line right now uh is uh, that that sort of nasty demeanor. Pouncey certainly has it. Incognito was born with it. Clavo's got it. We don't know about Jonathan Martin, We're, but uh, all signs suggest that he doesn't have that, that sort of mean streak that we saw out of guys like uh, Jake Long uh, and, and uh, some of our 
our previous uh, offensive lineman who who had success. So, and I think that's that's going to be a problem. I think I don't know if he's got that sort of demeanor. I know the rest of the line has it. I don't know about him. So I think no. that he's going to be a focal point. So, I mean, the one of the main goals of playing defense in football is you want to attack uh, the the offense's weakest point. And right now, I mean, until until we're proven uh, uh, proven wrong, the weak point on this offense is sitting at left tackle. I think. I mean, I mean that's really hard to put on the shoulders of a guy who's going into a second year. Really, only has what three games as a left hat as starting at left tackle in the NFL. Right. So I mean, that's that's rough, and I mean that's an expectation. I don't know if I'd really wish upon a second a second year guy, but. Uh, the Dolphins clearly felt comfortable with this because, I mean, they had a chance to get Lane Johnson. They went with Deion Jordan. Right now that looks like a great move because Deion Jordan's an animal. But, I mean, this is this is something that the Dolphins r- saw coming down the road, and they they uh, chose to roll with the uh, the second-year guy. So teams are going to go at him. It's all about what he can do now. And if it doesn't well, work, maybe, not, maybe the reps, too, that Johnson Martin get, and just, you know, I appreciate your insight. That's it's awesome. I, I I think the only thing that that I think will help him grow faster in this preseason too is he's going up against who I think is one of the most underrated pass rushers in the league in Cameron Wake. And I think being you know I think if they put Wake on him and and push him and press him, I I think that would help him considering you know there's really not a lot of strong pass rushers in our division. You know maybe Mario Williams if he's healthy, but I mean I really don't see anybody that can really you know challenge pass rush wise unless there's a lot of blitzing but hey man i'm gonna go but but i really appreciate you bringing me on and uh and i'll be i'll be uh listening to the show again really appreciate it eddie thank you very much for listening tonight and thank you for calling in getting us some good questions it's what we talked about earlier um, and i mean and he's right i mean the thing is I mean, it's it's kind of unfair to say that well martin's getting lumps pounded on him right now well i mean look who he's taking on right i mean going against cameron wake and for i mean all signs point to Deion Jordan being a complete animal uh, coming off the edge. And we, uh, Vernon has been kind of a polarizing topic. We've liked him. I mean, we love everything over here, evidently. But there are guys out there who weren't so high on Vernon who, who thought that, you know, he was just, uh, you know, maybe like a, a special team splash in the pan, got, got some attention because, he, you know, it blocked, blocked that kick last year. Uh, he, though he had some, some key sacks. And whatnot, he but and, I think that we went with him for a reason. What people forget about is the fact that there is a rookie wall. There is a very, very true and a very big rookie wall. These guys, I think rookie, I may have said rookie. <laughs> there is a rookie <laughs> wall. These guys are playing 12 and 13 games, and suddenly now you're asking them to play 16 games. They're practicing more. They don't go to class in the middle of the day. So they're in the gym. They're doing all this stuff. So their bodies take a toll that they haven't done before. And that's what happened with Vernon last year. He absolutely hit that wall. And this year he should be better. He's more conditioned. He's ready for it. Um, The other thing that I wanted to bring up, and I don't know if Eddie's listening. I hope he still is. The other thing is you very much so could see this team give Jonathan Martin the Mark Colombo treatment to start the year. Put Deion Sims over there and let him be a, another tackle sitting over there and let him block. Use Charles Clay or Javorski Lane to back up Jonathan Martin until he does get his feet under him. So there are ways to 
hide your weaknesses. Yes, you would love to have that left tackle that can stand out there on an island and protect your quarterback without having to do all this other stuff. But there are ways they can work around it if if he's shaky. Now, if he's just absolutely a turnstile like Colombo, yeah, we're going to have issues. But if he's shaky and needs some experience first, there are ways to work around that. Uh, I wanted to get to before uh, we're, we're down to about seven minutes left in the show. So I wanted to get to Chris, Dolphin Fan for Life, called in, and he has a trade idea that he wanted to bring up. So Dolphin Fan for Life, go ahead. Hey, guys. How are you? Um, well, I'm doing all right. Um, first thing and foremost, and it, it kind of ties into my idea, but, you know, we're basically going to be looking at a very weakened injury play defense from Dallas. Um, like, I'd say their start, Ratliff is injured. Um Everybody except Ware seems to be hurt. I mean, they brought in like four rotational guys to try in and everything, try out and things like that. But, you know, before people sit there and think, oh, we got the line set up and, oh, my God, Lamar Miller was the greatest pick ever, we have to realize that we're not going to be going up against Dallas's best. Oh, yeah, you know, very um, much so. And it's it, same way both ways. We're not going to put our best out there, and they're not going to put their best out there. So just like you can't hate the Dolphins based on what happens, you can't fall in love with what happens either. So, yeah, you're dead on right. But you're also playing a defense that is converting over to a 4-3. You know, we're not playing the the 3-4 juggernaut Cowboys of 2007 here. You know, these guys are, are... making the switch over to the Monty Giffen defense, and we have no idea whether they've completely taken to that or not. Um, the reports suggest they have not. So, oh, I mean, there's well, I mean, there's going to be a great feeling out period. You know, I mean, everybody except for where on that front four is hurt, you know, and so they're not really going to take, I mean, you're putting together patchwork defenses based on injuries. Which I mean brings me to the idea we need a receiver, which seems kind of funny considering how he spent the off season just signing guys left and right. But had an idea for a possible trade. They need defensive line. We need a wide receiver. They have one. Um, not Des Bryant, because uh, I can picture that press conference with Ireland and Des shaking hands and whatnot, maybe his mom in the background, whatever, you know. Um, but, you know, one thing that we're stacked on is defensive line. Um, a possibility for a trade that I thought of was possibly Cole Misi, who is a converted linebacker from the defensive end position and – um, possibly Shelby from Miles Austin, maybe a trade of picks or something like that. Um, how feasible is this? Because, you know, Miles Austin is an eight-year veteran. Um, if I remember correctly, he was brought in around the time that Ireland was with the Cowboys. And we all know Ireland used to love the Cowboys. 
not so much anymore, but, you know, what do you guys think? Duke, you want to take this? I know you're on the uh, – we don't – oh, yeah, we do have Duke on here. Okay. I thought we lost you, Duke. Uh, I'll let you take it since you're you, – you love the wide receiver questions right now. Well, I mean, I don't think we need a wide receiver. That, that's just it. We need wide receiver depth. I mean, we have – we don't need starters. So that that's the issue I'd have with a trade like that. If, if you trade for Miles Austin, where are you going to put him? I mean, you've already got money invested in – uh, Wallace and Hartline. So those guys are going to be, you know, your starters. You've got Gibson, who who they went out and got, you know, to be a, a big part of the offense. So if you if you trade for a guy like Austin, that means you're taking away snaps and targets from someone else. And I just don't see who they're going to take snaps away from, um, you know, in, unless it was Gibson. But I don't think you go out and sign a guy like that to be – you know, only to go out and trade for another guy. Now, I could see something maybe mid-season if there was a an injury to someone, but as of right now, we don't need a, another guy that's going to be a starter. Um, so I think what you'd be doing is you'd be trading pieces away and picks away for a guy that right now you don't really need. I mean, I think the guys that you can sign off the street are going to be just as just as effective in the roles that they have. I mean, if you're going to go for a guy like, in my opinion, if you're going to go for a guy like Austin, you're going to do that, you know, before before the draft. You're going to do it before you before free agency kind of hits that kind of stuff. I don't think you do it now. I'm all for. I don't think we think Jerry Jones. Don't get me wrong, but like he said, I mean, I just receiver is until something really drastic comes up. I or some sort of unforeseen situation. I just really can't justify trading away uh, uh, really some considerable defensive line depth for uh, a receiver who is not a spring chicken, you know. So, right. Not a bad idea, but I, mean, I don't I – mean, like I said, I love ripping off Kerry Jones and whatnot. And that, that first-round pick he, he gave up for Roy Williams still delights me to this day. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. That's just – that's hard to – hard to justify. You know, which is the reason kind of why I thought of Miles Austin, because of the fact that, you know, he's an eight-year veteran. They're considering letting him walk because they have a couple of wide receivers right now, um, a couple of rookies. One is a 6'3 guy. Um, that's yeah, Terrence Williams. Yeah, and they've got a, a couple more guys that they that they signed that are pretty much good you know good at doing what they're doing in camp you know they're expecting to let them either walk or go as a free agent anyways so you know at this point of the game he's kind of like that guy that he has starter experience but he doesn't have to be the starter and he can come cheaper than you know, the only other guy I could think of was like Aromashadu, who is in Chicago right now. They have a couple of receivers out there, so they're kind of putting all their heads hands together in one basket. And so I thought maybe him as a slot receiver, but he he gets hurt a lot. Um, 
it just kind of worries me because, you know, even when we had all these starters, well, Wallace isn't pairing up with Tannehill. He's got a couple of catches, but it's slow cooking. Um, you know, Gibson isn't really doing what he was in here to do. Now Winslow is dropping passes. It, it just it's a little bit disconcerting. We have no idea right now. I mean, like I, I understand, but I mean, it's just way too early to say that like Gibson isn't isn't really getting it done. I mean, until until it's Sunday and those pads are on, uh, you know, no no one's gonna gonna get put in the playoffs for what they did in in July training camp. I mean, all right, tomorrow's August first. You know, we we still have over a month until until the season starts. So, I mean, it's just something where, I mean, you got you got to understand. I mean, these are a bunch of young guys coming together. You have a second year quarterback who surprised everyone. No one thought he was going to start last year. Everyone thought he was going to he was going to ride the benches first year. Instead, he starts every game. Uh, so I mean, it's and he didn't look that great in uh, training camp last year. I mean, we're sitting there thinking like. There's no way this is gonna this is gonna pan out with like Gerard or you know Moore is gonna get it. I mean, we just don't know. I mean, there are so many moving parts and so many variables right now that I mean, I I'm confident in Gibson. I'm confident in Wallace. Uh, I think that those guys are gonna really free up Heartline. I think our tight end position, uh, if Sims can get it done in terms of blocking, I think that we're gonna have some serious upgrades there. So I mean, like it's gonna be different. And there's going to be a feeling out period, and there might be some growing pains. But I think that there, I mean, there's reason to be excited right now. We get excited about everything over here. So, I mean, it's important that uh, to just kind of take it as it comes and understand that Rome wasn't built in the day. You know, I mean, football is the ultimate chemistry game. So, I mean. And I, and I think that's part of why Heartline was brought back. And I know a lot of people lamented that. Oh, we gave him too much money and things like that. But you can see with, with some of the earlier reports where Wallace and Tannehill haven't haven't connected yet or some of this other stuff. That's why you have a guy like Hartline because he is, he's a, you know, not only did he have a good season, he only scored one touchdown, but he still had a good season. Miscast is a number one guy. Uh, going, you know, people basically just covering him all year and, and leaving everyone else up. And you can't do that now. But it, it's a guy that, well, if, if Tannehill's not comfortable immediately throwing to Wallace or throwing to Gibson or, or Keller or whoever, you know Hartline's there. So he's got that got that, you know, safety valve there in a sense that he's got someone he's very comfortable with. He has that chemistry. You know, and that's one of the things I saw on Twitter that, you know, people were talking about, well, Tannehill lacks anticipation. He lacks, you know, he, he doesn't, you know, that kind of stuff. I'm like, well, you know, you can watch some throws he made to Heartline last year where he was throwing to Heartline before Heartline was out of his break. So I think that other stuff comes in time. So that that would be another problem. If you bring in a new receiver at this point, Tannehill's going to have to learn a brand-new guy automatically. Um, he, he's got guys that he's familiar with now. He's getting more comfortable with Gibson, more comfortable with Wallace, and he already has a guy he's extremely comfortable with, with Heartline. So I think, you know, now it's just a matter of getting those extra reps and getting those, you know, getting those, um, uh, getting those little, that chemistry down, getting that anticipation, knowing how Wallace is going to come in and out of his breaks, you know, how Gibson likes to run his routes and things like that. So I think that's the stuff that's going to work on. I think you'll see that in preseason games. I think you'll, you know, I think that's the kind of stuff that gets ironed out. So I think in terms of the starters, I think we're going to be fine. And, you know, like I said, we've got Hartline there uh, who's going to do his thing. And I, I'm expecting an even better year from him. I, I don't want to get all into that again. But, um, yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, 
I think all the reports coming out of camp, and two is it, it always seems that the stuff that you're hearing from camp always seems to be negative. I don't know if it's just that's how Miami media is. Um, so just there. Yeah, I mean, you know, it, it just seems to me that there was one tweet I saw tonight where it said Deion Jordan, it was one-on-one versus Jonathan Martin, and Jonathan Martin stood him up, just basically held him up by his pads and, 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 and stopped him. One tweet. And the next time Deion Jordan goes around him, there's like ten tweets. Oh, Deion Jordan just beat Jonathan Martin for a sack. So you kind of have to, you know, gauge what you're watching here. And you know, I really hope next year that things work out. That I would like to be able to go and go to camp and just watch these things. I think you actually get better reporting from the Finsider members who go to camp because they're not going to they're not going to have the, to me they're going to try to be as positive and as not necessarily as positive but as open minded about it. Whereas some of these guys. You you'll never see you'll never hear oh Tim Hill had this great throw Tim Hill did this Tim Hill that it's always oh he made this one bad throw it was you know this or that or Jonathan Martin got beat you never hear the good stuff it's always the negative stuff so I think that's just a Miami media thing so yeah I just kind of take off that stuff with a grain of salt at this point. Hey uh, Dalton Fed for life. thanks very much but I got to move on I got to get to the end of the show we're coming up on time crunch so thank you very much for calling oh. in tonight and. Well, obviously, if you call in next week, we'll talk more about the Dolphins then. <laughs> um, real quick, I do want to get to the end of the show, but one thing that just sort of came up, the uh, Patriots today waived guard, center, whatever you want to call him, Nick McDonald. Um, he didn't pass the uh, physical. He was on the pup list. But he would be an interesting guy for the Dolphins to try to make a play for simply on the pump in for information role. So that's a – On what, how to kill people? Like what, what do you on want how, from – On how to on, – on, I mean, just on Brady, on the offense, all that kind of stuff. So it would be you an know interesting – I, I, I mean, yeah, we I, do. I, get what you're, I get what you're saying. You know how I'm so with the AFC East is. Yeah, I mean, it, we know, we know what that team is trying to do, and the thing is, I mean, like they execute. Oh, geez, that's a joke into itself. Uh, I'm, I'm serious. Though. I, mean, like, <laughs> is, I mean, we make fun of the Patriots all the time, and I hate the Patriots, but I mean, like you cannot dispute the fact that those guys execute their plays at a high level. You know what they're going to try to do. I mean, like yeah, they come out with the the occasional trickery, and you see a lot of funny things they do on defense, but those guys simply execute. I mean, and. Yep. Hold the Aaron Hernandez jokes, but they do. I mean, those guys, those guys are pros when it comes to just going out there and taking, taking, had so many cliches, but they take care of their business. Oh, it's just so many cliches. I'm dying. <laughs> well, let's go ahead and go around the horn and uh, use a baseball reference there. Let's go around the horn and give you guys a couple minutes if you have anything left that you want to talk about tonight. Duke, you're up first. Anything? I think we caught Duke off guard, so let's go ahead and jump over to Keith. You got anything left, Keith? Uh, I, I've, I'm already sick of looking at uh, college prospects because I, I always start that up <laughs> right around the, the end of August. Uh, my prediction is that uh, the the Johnny Manziel hype this year is going to make Tebow look like a baby. I, I don't think we, we really understand or are prepared for just how bad this is going to get. Because Texas A&M is a good team. 
and it is it is yeah. going to turn into a circus. And as someone who enjoys college football very much, I'm going to be torn because I don't like Johnny Manziel. He irritates the crap out of me. But I'm looking for anyone but Bama this year. I mean, it, it could come down where I, I think Ohio State's off probation. If I'm not if I'm not mistaken, so and if it's Ohio State and Alabama in the championship game, I have to pull for Ohio State, and I do not like Ohio State. So I mean, it's, it's going to be uh, one of those one of those years. Living living here, I mean, I'm, I'm basically centered between A and M and Texas. So uh, living here. I like A&M. I have a lot of friends who are from A&M. Obviously, Tannehill, our quarterback, is an A&M guy. So there's a lot of ties to A&M, but, oh, dear God, I'm going to get sick of this really fast. I know it's yeah. coming. But isn't it kind of funny that uh, Tannehill, is, I mean, who's like a model citizen, is followed up by Manziel, who yeah. is pretty much, yeah. like, pretty much like the motley crew of college football quarterbacks. You know, he just he drinks too much. He's out of control. He's just he's got all these stupid tats. I mean, the guy is ridiculous. I mean, he's a good football player. I mean, I mean that's the that's the the cruel irony in sports. These guys can act like complete idiots, but man, they they put the pads on and they they turn into Superman. So it's going to be interesting. It's going to be a, this. I'm actually predicting that this is going to be probably the most interesting college, year of college football in the past decade. I think it's going to be a good one. So looking forward to it. Jump over to uh, our silent partner, James. You got anything on your mind? No, sir. <laughs> and that's why he's our silent partner. So with that, I'm good for the night. We will be on tomorrow night with the Finsider TV. Um, do expect us to change the schedule up a little bit so we're not back-to-back nights. But uh, tomorrow night, Finsider TV will be on, and we will talk more Dolphin stuff then. And, of course, start getting more ramped up for Sunday night's game. So thank you, guys. Thank you to everybody who called in. Thank you to everybody who tweeted or left comments. And you guys make the show what it is because that's what the point of this show is, is to be more interactive than even what the Finsider TV show can be. So thank you, guys, and everybody have a good night. We'll be back next week. Good night. Good night. Now at O'Reilly Auto Parts, pick up a bottle of Seafoam Motor Treatment on sale for $7.99. Plus, earn double O Rewards points. Help your engine run smoother and last longer with Seafoam Motor Treatment on sale now at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Better parts, better prices every day. Limit supplies. See store for details. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Hi, I'm Karis Fisher. I want to tell you about another podcast you should check out. It's called Recode Decode. Every week I talk to tech and media's key players about how they're changing our world. I interview tech executives like Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg, political figures like Hillary Clinton, and media personalities like John Carreyou, who literally wrote the book on Theranos. Once again, the name of the show is Recode Decode, hosted by me, Kara Swisher. You can find it on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to the show. See you there.